Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. She sees on one road as she looks down, she sees she's got a God-appointed position as his wife, and it would be wrong for Abraham to have a sexual union with any other woman other than her. Down that road, she sees that God has promised that Abraham and Sarah are going to have a son. And down that path, she sees the cut-up pieces of animals and the covenant ceremony affirming, God affirming, it's going to happen or I should be like these cut-up pieces of animals. But on the other road, she sees that there's another way. There's another opportunity that involves the handmaid, the Egyptian whose name is Hagar. And this history is all about Sarah making the wrong choice, going down the wrong road. And so what we see in verse 2 is Sarah now tempting Abraham. And she says, and Sarah said unto Abram, behold now. Oh, new revelation. You know, whenever you see this word behold, it's like, you know, look at this. Will you look at this already? Look at this. Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go unto my maid that it may be that I may obtain children by her. Now, we can imagine poor Abraham. I feel sorry for Abraham. Maybe you don't, but I do. We can imagine Abraham, he's just caught totally off guard. I mean, this just knocks him off his horse. This is Sarah. Sarah, who's been a very, very compliant wife. Sarah, who's gone along with him. Sarah, who obeyed him, calling him Lord. And all of a sudden now, Sarah is just totally catching Abraham off guard. Why does it catch him off guard? Because she's so close to him. She's so close to him. This has never happened before. This is like a out of character for Sarah. And what's happening? It's the voice of temptation coming from Sarah. And he never expected that Sarah would tempt him. Now, where else have we seen in Scripture that a very close friend had the voice of temptation? This is an easy question, by the way, not a trick one. We haven't read that much Scripture so far. There's only 16 chapters. So where else? Who else? That's it, Eve. So this is what Satan does. He tempts us, and the temptation comes very, very strong when it comes from someone very close to us, and it catches us off guard because we never expect that the person who is the closest to us would carry the words of Satan. And it was hard for Abraham to take a stand against Sarah. But the only way that Abraham could have been saved from this temptation, it was to listen to what was being said rather than who was saying it. See, that's the whole thing. And it's hard for us to take a stand against those who are the closest to us. And it was hard for the Lord Jesus Christ also to take such a strong stand against a person so close to him, one of the three that were the closest, Peter, But he was listening more to what Peter was saying rather than to who it was who was saying it. Peter, in Matthew 16, 21, where it says, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him, it says, and began to rebuke him 
saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. That was not easy for the Lord to do that with someone so close to him, but he was listening more to what Peter was saying rather than the fact that it was coming from Peter. Now, it was what Sarah was saying to Abraham that should have alerted him to, this is not the voice of God. This is Sarah's great need, and she's dead wrong. But notice how in verse 2, she starts off, by blaming God. She says in verse two, and Sarah said unto Abraham, behold now, will you look at this? The Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I wanna bear children. It's all that evil Lord. He is really bad. He's keeping me back. He's holding me back. It's his fault. See, that's what's behind what she's saying. And then she says, I pray thee. Oh, this is very hard for Abraham. She's so pretty. Anyway, I pray thee, go in unto my maid. That's one time I was, shouldn't say this, but anyway. One time I was really angry with Cheryl. I said to Jim, I said, what should I do? And he said to me, just tell her it's a good thing you're pretty. <laughs> anyway, that's not a good comment, but all right. All right, so I pray thee, go in unto my maid, she says, and it may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. So Sarah started by telling Abraham, Something that maybe he hadn't considered before when she says, behold now, behold. This is a, you know, look at this, look at this reality. Behold now, new revelation, God's to blame. Right away, when Abraham hears Sarah start off by blaming God, Abraham's alarm should have gone off. And later on, he'll say in Genesis 18, 25, he says, the judge of all the earth shall not do right. No, the judge of, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. What Sarah is saying here is that the Lord is not doing right. The Lord is not good. The Lord has restrained me from bearing. That contradicts what David, king of Israel, says in Psalm 100, verse 5, when he says, the Lord is good. His mercy endureth is everlasting. So next we see Sarah is only thinking of herself. And if you read these, you look at this and you see she's got all the focus on me. She didn't say the Lord hath restrained us from having children. She said the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. And I pray thee, go in unto my maid, that it may be that I may obtain children by her. See, it's all about Sarah. It's all about Sarah. When Sarah says to Abraham that I may obtain children by her, literally in the Hebrew, what she was saying to Abraham was that I may be built up, built up by her. So Sarah is proposing to Abraham, go in unto my maid that I may be built up by her. That's exactly the same words, same words exactly that Rachel had said to Jacob later. We're going to see this in Genesis 30, verse 3, where Rachel says to Jacob, and she said, Behold, my maid Bilhah, go in unto her, and she shall bear upon my knees. It says that I may also have children by her, but literally it is that I may be built up, again, banah, built up by her. So both Sarah and Rachel felt that they were not being built up because they didn't have any children. Sarah wanted Hagar to build her up. Hagar, in other words, Hagar should enlarge Sarah. Sarah had it all worked out in her mind, and she knew that she was going to go against God's promise, that she and Abraham would be the ones to have a child. She knew that. But she justified her plan by saying, forget about God. It's all his fault in the first place because he's restrained me from bearing. 
And so this justifying sin by blaming God, that's not new. That We saw that before. Adam justified not obeying God by blaming God because it was all God's fault for giving him the woman in the first place. That's a very common thing. And in Genesis 3.12, it says, the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. And Eve justified not obeying God by blaming God because it was all God's fault for putting that serpent in the garden. That was God's fault. In Genesis 3.13, she said, And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And Sarah justified not obeying God by blaming God because it was God's fault. Because behold, now the Lord hath restrained me. From bearing. And a person justifies not obeying God by first blaming God. And once Sarah had blamed God, she felt justified in not obeying God to go ahead with Sarah's plan. Sarah has a plan. And Sarah's plan is for Abraham to have this union with her maid. And she calls, notice her plan, very careful, because she's no fool, Sarah, and she has a sense that things might go awry here. So she calls Hagar in verse 2, my maid. I got my hand on her. She's submissive. She's my maid. She'll do what I tell her to do. She's just going to be the surrogate mother. After that, she'll continue to be my maid. She'll continue to be submissive to me. And that was her plan, was that Sarah should remain as her maid and be this surrogate mother, and the child would be Sarah's, and Hagar would go on and remain being her submissive maid. In other words, Sarah planned for Hagar to enlarge or build up Sarah and that Hagar should just stay in her place and be in complete submission to Sarah, and that's not what happened. That's not what happened. And this is all about how sin plays out. In sin, there's always a plan, and then there is the result, and the result is not what was planned. And Sarah had planned to use Hagar, her maid, to build her up by giving her children. But Sarah had also planned that Hagar would stay in her place and remain submissive to Sarah and not regard herself as anything more than just Sarah's maid. But, as we're going to see, the result of what Sarah had planned was not what happened. And Hagar no longer reviewed herself as Sarah's submissive maid. So the problem went like this. God had his eye on the child that Abraham and Sarah were going to have. Abraham had his eye on Eliezer, and God had to straighten him out. Sarah had her eye on Hagar, and unfortunately, what happened, happened. So tragically, we read the last phrase in verse 3. And Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarah. Those words remind us of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.17 where it says, and unto Adam he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the man for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it. See, hearkened unto the voice of his wife. Adam could have said something like, uh, for 18 months I haven't spoken with my wife because I don't want to interrupt her. <laughs> anyway, he hearkened to the voice of his wife. So verse 2 Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. That's a very important phrase. Hearken to the voice of. That phrase, hearken to the voice of, means that 
It's the voice of the person that's persuading the person, that's persuading, not what they're saying. It's the voice, not the content. That's the same phrase that Rebecca used to command her son, Jacob, to do what her plan, what she wanted him to do. She wanted him to lie to his father, her husband, and say that he was Esau. And then she wanted him to leave home and not be killed by Esau. So what it says, she said to her son Jacob in Genesis 27, 8, she says, now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. And later in Genesis 27, 13, it says, And his mother said unto him, Upon me be thy curse, my son. Only obey my voice and fetch me them. Let's go, go get the goat and so forth. And then in the end, in Genesis 27, 43, she says, Now therefore, my son, obey my voice and arise, flee thee to Haran, my brother, to Laban, my brother in Haran. So you see, in all these cases, Rebecca is saying, don't listen to what I'm saying. Listen to my voice and do what I'm saying. And so Rebecca's saying this. Says, Don't think about what I am telling you is right or wrong. Just hear my voice and obey what I'm saying because of who I am and not because of what I'm saying. That's the same idea in verse 2 when it says, And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. Abraham wasn't thinking if what Sarah was saying was right or wrong. All Abraham heard was Sarah, her voice, Sarah's voice. That's Sarah's voice, my beautiful wife. So he obeys what Sarah was saying because of who she was, not because of what she was saying was right. And that's where he went wrong. That's where he went wrong. He hearkened to the voice of Sarah, not to the voice of God. He was not listening to what she was saying. And that's a great warning for us. We need to hearken to the voice of God, which we hear in the scriptures. We hear the voice of God and not the voice of anyone else. Even someone may be so very near to us, even our own voice. Our own heart, we shouldn't follow our heart. That's very dangerous. Follow your heart. That's the hearken to your own voice. After telling Abram in verse 2 what her plan was, and after really leaning on Abram with this I pray thee to go along with her, now he goes headstrong into making her plan become a reality. She goes headstrong. And it says in verse 3, So Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. That's a long time. And gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. So verse three is putting to us in a very succinct way what the issue was. And the issue is in verse three, starts off by calling Sarah Abram's wife. Now, we know who Sarah is, you know, I mean, we're not dumb, we've been reading this passage, it doesn't have to identify him as Abram's wife, but the scripture identifies her as Abram's wife to crystallize the issue. This was her title, and what's happening here, and what this is about, is the destruction of her title. She destroyed her position as Abraham's only wife. And so notice how in verse 3, Hagar's title is also emphasized in Sarah's mind. That was all Sarah wanted Hagar to remain, just her maid. But it all backfires. And what we're reading about is just a tremendous backfire for Sarah because of what she had made Hagar, which is emphasized in the last part. She made Hagar to be Abraham's wife. And this was Sarah, Abram's wife, who took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. And so Sarah's plan was for Sarah to continue to be Abraham's only wife, and for Hagar to continue to be her maid. But the result was that Sarah elevated Hagar to be Abram's wife, and that wasn't what she planned. And we're just like Sarah. We're going to look at Sarah. We're just like Sarah. Sin blinds us 
to what will actually be the result. We're just like Sarah. The plan is all we see. We can't see what the result's going to be. That's why we need to do what it says. You might want to turn to it. You know it already. Proverbs 3, 5-7, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Don't think you're smarter than the average bear. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. So when Sarah justified disobeying God by blaming God for restraining her, Sarah was not trusting in the Lord with all of her heart. Sarah allowed her heart to see God was not good to her. When Sarah came up with this plan to use her submissive maid to get a baby, Sarah was leaning to her own understanding. We can just picture Sarah one day looking at Hagar and said, boy, that's my ticket out of barrenness. There she is. Her name is Hagar, my ticket. When Sarah came up with this plan to use Hagar to build herself up, she wasn't acknowledging God who said that he who made them one flesh, Abraham and Sarah, were going to have the baby, not Abraham and Hagar. So she really thought she had a great plan. She really believed she had a great plan. She was wise in her own eyes. And it was evil for her to give this other woman to her husband, and she departed from God. So we see the tragedy happens in verse 4. He went into Hagar. She conceived. When she saw that she conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. So now we see how Abraham did what Sarah wanted to do. She conceives just as Sarah had planned, and then it all went wrong. Huge backfire. And that's not what Sarah had planned. And we see how Hagar now starts to see herself very differently. And Hagar sees that she has conceived. She's carrying Abraham's long-anticipated baby. She sees herself as a tremendous elevation in her position. She no longer sees herself as Sarah's maid. I mean, there's always a doubt. Was it Sarah's problem? Was it Abraham's problem? Now we know it was Sarah's problem. It wasn't Abraham's problem, the fertility. So now she sees herself as equal with Abraham. No, not just equal. She's above Sarah because now she's the favored wife. She's the more fruitful wife than Sarah. And we can just picture the whole scene as her belly begins to grow with Abraham's baby. And we can see Abraham's joy. And he better not smile too much around Sarah, as he's in deep trouble. And we can just see her flaunting her fruitfulness before Sarah with that flare of, hello, madam, barrenness, meet Mrs. Fruitfulness. Oh, boy. And then comes those squinted, jealous eyes, that flash towards Sarah of, who are you? Despise. Now, this is no longer shalom in the home. <laughs> Put it mildly. This home has become a battlefield of hatred between Sarah and Hagar. And this is a whole backfire. And if we compare Eve with Sarah, we can ask the question, did Eve and Sarah actually receive what they wanted? Well, yes and no. We can say that. A definite yes for both of them because Eve's eyes were definitely opened as she hoped. When she ate the fruit, it says that in Genesis 3, 7, the eyes of both of them were open. And Eve had planned to have her eyes open. And sure enough, her eyes were open as she had planned. She got to know good and evil by experience. And for Sarah, she had planned to have the baby with her maid, Hagar. And sure enough, she got the baby. She got the child she hoped for. But there was a definite no in both of their cases because Eve wanted to have her eyes open with a new understanding. But what happened was that she actually lost her sight 
in the blindness to sin. She was blind. And Eve was very much like Samson. Samson had a lust of the eyes. He wanted to see the beautiful women. That's what he wanted to. He told his father that in Judges 14.2. He said, I have seen a woman. All about his eyes, see. He was interested in building up the repertoire of beautiful women that he could see, seeing them uncovered with his eyes. He wanted to see that. He wanted to build that up. And he saw them all right. He saw the beautiful uncovered women. That was his goal. So yes, he got his goal. He achieved his goal. But the end result was not what he planned because as he executed the goal of building up his sight, he ended up losing his sight in Judges 16, 21. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes. So by not obeying God, he lost his sight that he was trying to build up. And by not obeying God, Eve lost what she was trying to build up, her sight. And by not obeying God, Sarah lost what she was trying to build up, her house, herself. She lost it. That was Sarah's plan. And because she executed her plan, she got the baby, but the opposite happened. And she didn't end up, she was torn down as the unfruitful wife of Abraham. She didn't end up building up the house. She ended up tearing it down with a strife of two women because she didn't trust in the Lord with all of her heart and she leaned to her own understanding. She was wise in her own eyes and she departed from God. She tore it all up. She had grief and heartache remain in her house till all of her days of her life. She didn't plan on this at all. Hagar's name means flight or fugitive, like a rebel. Her son, Ishmael is described that way, verse 12, later on down. He's a wild man, uh, every man against his man, a man against him, and so forth. And so now Sarah, she turns on Abraham in verse 5, and the strife is happening between them. The wedge is coming in. She says, my wrong be upon thee. I have given my maiden to thy bosom. And she starts to conceive and despise. And now the Lord judge between you and me. Oh, that's a nice home. And so we see here in verse 5, she's admitting that she's wrong, but she blames Abraham. Somehow it's Abraham's fault. And poor Abraham, he's smart. He doesn't say anything. You know, Abraham, he says, I married Mrs. Wright. I just didn't know her first name was always. But <laughs> all right. So he's in a very difficult position, and he responds to her. He's smart enough to see, I am not touching this. He says, Hagar, you're made. You do what you want for him. But this is his baby that Hagar is carrying. This is a not an easy thing for him. It's very difficult. He's in a very tough, tough position. And this is a home of tragedy, absolute tragedy here. Now, God forgave Sarah. God forgave Abraham, but the scars remained. All the rest of their lives, their house was ruined like David. In both cases, Eve and Sarah, they would have said that their intentions were good. Eve would have said, I just wanted to be wise. Sarah would have said, I just wanted to have my house built up. But in both cases, their plans involved sin. And they introduced polygamy into the home. Sarah introduced polygamy into the home. And every time you saw this, this was a terrible thing. We see this in the case of Elkanah's home with Hannah and Penina and Jacob's home with Rachel and Leah. My father was divorced and was married and divorced five times. And there was one person who benefited from those five marriages and divorces of my father. And his name was Tommy. Okay. When I grow up, I silently watched my father get married and divorced five times. And I resolved that when I got married that I would never get divorced because I watched it all in the home. And so this January, thank God, we'll celebrate our 44th year of marriage. Now, there's one person who benefited from this conflict between Sarah and Hagar, and his name is Isaac. 
And Isaac grew up in this home of strife, and he quietly watched this horrible conflict in Abraham's polygamy there, and he resolved he's never going to get involved with polygamy, and he never did. Isaac stands out unique as a person who had resolved to have one wife, and he had one wife, and her name was Rebekah, and we should all be like Isaac's. We should all be like Isaac's. Why? Because Isaac learned from the mistakes of others. And the Bible should be for us our tool to learn from the mistakes of others. And our environment should be our tool to learn from the mistakes of others. We live in a world of marriage and divorces. Men taking new wives, women taking new husbands. And as we look around and we see all the tensions caused by it, we should be like little Isaac, just quietly learning from it and say, I'm going to learn from the sin of others. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for teaching us this morning. Lord, help us to retain the lessons we've learned in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. You're invited to Christmas Under the Stars at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, Saturday, December 12th from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. Activities for the entire family, including a live nativity, caroling candlelit museum tours, ornament making, cookie decorating, star exploration, and a special Star of Bethlehem message by guest Paul Taylor. Join us for this family-free Christmas event at the Creation Museum, 619-599-1104 or creationsd.org. Looking for an exciting career in the medical field or biotech industry? Join Scanabody's Biologics, founded by a Christian businessman, Tom Cantor. It's a premier company dedicated to advancing patient care and serving the community of San Diego. Scanabody's has global operations and over 700 employees and growing. And if you have a heart for people and a desire to join a leading biotech company, call us 619-258-9300, 619-258-9300, scanabodies.com, that's scanabodies.com.